Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. Today we have a fantastic guest. It's Dan Horan, who's the CEO and founder of Five Acre Farms. Before we get into Five Acre and the fantastic work they're doing with Northeast Dairy Farmers, I wanted to give a little bit of context, because that is sort of the name of this series, about why farming, specifically dairy farming in the Northeast, is so important. And so in classic Who Wants to Be a Millionaire style, we have phoned a friend. I would love to introduce my dear friend and a Yale School of Forestry graduate, as well as longtime conservationist, environmentalist, and person who knows of all about how to protect and save our world, Andy Beck. Hey, Andy. Good morning, Lex. So glad to have you with us today. So here's, here's the question that I've got for you. Why are these farms, specifically the dairy farms in the Northeast, but also farms in general, why are these so important to us? I think there's a, a couple ways that you can look at it, Lex. So, you know, one, one important way to look at it is, is at, from a land use perspective. And so when you think about, you know, the Northeast has historically been a agricultural region, right? There's been a lot of dairy that's grown in the Northeast, for instance. And when you think about what's, what's been going on recently, the, the consolidation of, of dairy farmers, at least in the Northeast, farmers in, in the Northeast just can't keep up with the economies of scale that farmers out in Montana and Arizona and in the West, where they have these massive farms with, you know, just huge, huge landscapes. They've got thousands of cows on these farms, right? Everything is done, you know, with uh, with just humongous amounts of capital and, and and big investment. But the real problem is that those landscapes are are desert landscapes, right? And sure, there's a nominal amount of 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 uh, grass in in Montana, and and you can grow some some cows there. Um, but really, in order to to sustain those huge operations, you're relying on intensive uh, irrigated agriculture. So. What's happening is these farms are getting displaced from their natural habitat, the Northeast, and they're going to the places that there's more land, but that's a really inefficient way to grow cattle. So you have to pump in water, you have to pump out the products like the dairy, the dairy products that are produced and whatnot. And that's inefficient on both, on both levels, which is bad for the planet. Is that about right? Definitely. Um, and, it, you know, it's not just bad for the environment or not bad for the environment, but, you know, as a, as a society, we have to make complicated decisions about what we choose to grow and where we choose to grow it. But the other piece that I wanted to, to hit on is just the, the community aspect of it, right? And so in Vermont, take Vermont, for instance, which is where we're sitting right now. Um, you know, I think in 1950, there were something like 11,000 farmers, dairy farmers in Vermont. Fast forward 70 years. Today, they're less less than 700, which is basically a 90% reduction in the number of farmers. And what you have to remember is that like this farmers, all of this history, this rich knowledge of dairy farming and these people, they're not going out to Montana and Arizona. They're here in Vermont. And so it, this consolidation of farms has just had a major, a, a really sad and devastating impact on communities here in the Northeast where these folks are just, you know, they, they can't compete anymore. It just doesn't make sense for them to farm. And, and they're actually losing money on farming because the costs are more than what they're able to get with, by selling their milk. All right. I think that really tees up why this is such an important question for us to dig into. Andy, thank you. Thank you. 
And thank you, Simon, for your, as always, appreciated contribution to that conversation. Okay, now we are about to jump into my talk with Dan Horan, the CEO of Five Acre Farms, who has a solution to save these dairy farmers in the Northeast. Here we go. Dan, welcome to the Who's Saving the Planet podcast. We are thrilled to have you today. How are you and where are you? It looks beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Lex. I, I'm up in... Uh... Having spent the last nine, almost 10 weeks in Brooklyn, I'm now up in uh, Litchfield County. Uh, my family farm is up there. Uh, and so we have relocated for this next segment. Uh, some kids are winding down with school, my oldest in college, and then my high schoolers are still going. But uh, it's a change of pace. But uh, it's cool up in New England. It's been a cool spring. And uh, so everybody's a little bit behind on the farm side, but it's, it's nice to hear the birds and nice to be outside. Absolutely. For all of our, all of our listeners, I, our gift to you for this episode is being transported a little bit out of whatever your daily life into this lush, wonderful oasis that Dan is in with the sound of birds in the background that is not dubbed in, that is 100% authentic. So thank you for bringing us that little bit of respite. Uh, I can't wait to dig into the solution and what you've built in more detail. But first, I'd really under like to understand from your perspective what the situation of a farmer is right now. Given yeah. the current trajectory, what do you think, if nothing changes, farming would look like in 10 or 20 or 30 years? So if we just think about the dairy business, if things continue as they are today, you will probably not see dairy farms in states like New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, uh, New Hampshire, Maine. Uh, it'll be very much under attack in Vermont, very much under attack in New York, uh, very much under attack in Pennsylvania. But uh, Pennsylvania is a very, very large agricultural state. Uh, it's a very big state too, and really not very well known by people on the coast for its agricultural uh, resources. And the reason for that is that the economics of running a dairy business um, are forcing farms to be either very, 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 very tiny boutiques, which is a very, very small market. So you just can't have that many of those. Or the thinking that still prevails is that if I just get a little bit bigger, I can eke out, you know, I can eke out a living. Oh, and I left off egg, the egg business. Uh, it's the same thing. If, you know, if I'm paid a hundredth of a penny per egg, I just need more birds. I just need more birds. Is that true? Um, a hundredth of a penny is what? It's probably not quite like that, but it might be a penny. It might be less. I mean, the farms that have a million, two million, three million birds in one roof are that size because it's so difficult to make a, a living in the commodity market. Yep. I mean, almost by definition, the commodity market squeezes out any, any extra dollars. And supposedly in theory, in economic theory, that's beneficial. And what we've seen certainly in the farming sector is it's, it's not beneficial at all. Um, it creates a rickety, fragile supply chain, which sadly during the pandemic, a lot of people witnessed. Uh, it guts the, 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 the farming community itself, the people that we need to to, to grow and raise and make these, these, uh, these foods. Um, and as businesses, they're, they're, they're very unattractive uh, without a lot, a lot of capital, which is not a typical entrepreneur's route. Um, I mean, you started your business right there probably with not a lot of capital. 
no i've got a microphone some headphones and a co-pilot which is a dog i need to feed and of course tony my co-host uh usually which i don't have to feed him so he's relatively cheap um tell us so i think it's quite bad we had a chance to speak before and you told me that not only are these influences, not only are the pressures coming from the commodities market, which is very competitive to begin with, but also the government regulates specifically dairy because that that is the core of what you do in a way that's different than they regulate pretty much any other farm or produce product. Yeah, that's right. How is that different? What what are they doing there to regulate that? Well, so for example, a head of lettuce, there is no regulation on a head of lettuce. You sell a head of lettuce for whatever you get. Mm-hmm. And so the market sorts itself out and does that. Milk is not so. Uh, milk uh, for a long time has been deemed an essential element, an essential product to children. You know, it's worth noting that, you know, th- th- there's good reason for that. There, from a nutritional standpoint, we just don't know of anything better than an eight ounce glass of milk for people under 20. I mean, it's just, it's just true. And uh, we've tried to reproduce it in lots of ways. So milk has been very much protected. With that have, caught, have come a lot of good intentions about how do we make sure uh, the milk market stays afloat. It's not that I think there was no intention of, of wrecking the milk market. There are national pressures that, um, and price of living differences and infrastructure differences throughout the country that make pricing milk very, very challenging. So I think there, I, I don't know exactly, but it's something like there are 19 different prices for milk around the country. Based are on all a, those prices set by the government? Not They're set all set by, by the government. They're all, so, there, there's a, a federal order, a federal market order, and out it comes every month. Is there any other product that we have in the grocery store that is mandated by the government in terms of what it will cost? Uh, not, that I, not that I know of. So the price in the grocery store is not what's mandated. What's mandated is what a farmer is paid for their milk. So they're mandated up to even to the, uh, further up the supply chain for what yeah, the farmer is going to pay the, the pasteurizer right. or the distributor. That's right. Some states say you cannot sell milk below this price. Like mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, but I mean, and, and New York State does not do that. Um, or you can't sell milk above this price. There, there are various pricing uh, efforts, um, and some of it seem, uh, you know, very good. Like if you're a, a low-income person, having a, a cap or having very, very inexpensive milk seemingly would be good. Right. Um, but if it led to the destruction of your supply. Uh, you, you, you might think otherwise. And because it's been fairly gradual, it's not something that we're able to focus on on a day-to-day basis. Given the situation that we have now where there's all these pressures on local farmers, regulatory and commodity-wise in the marketplace, you then step in and you say, I've got an idea. I've got a solution for how we're going to save these small and middle-tier farms and specifically dairy farms around the Northeast. That's yeah. your, your yeah. for, forgive me, your, be, your bread and butter. Right. So, so if we just, if we, if this goes back to, um, to why five acre farms was started, keep farmers farming, bring local food to more people, right. take better care of our environment. Okay. Right. We go to a farm and just as, as a little thought exercise, um, I started out thinking, okay, if the price of organic milk were the same as regular milk, no one would buy regular milk. I think right. that's true. I think that's true. 
all things being equal, you'd buy the organic milk without even knowing anything. Like there's something about that word organic. You, it feels better. You, you think it's better. But the problem is organic milk is not the same. It's more expensive. Right. And so it's a lot more expensive. And so then I started thinking, huh, and, and I own an organic farm. So I'm thinking, huh, maybe there's just a pricing problem. You know, organics is now six, 7% of our food, but that's still not a lot when you think about it in the grand scheme. And certainly when it comes to acreage and animals under production, organic is still very small. So I thought, okay, how do we broaden this? There have to be more progressive farmers who would be interested in a more in a in a in a in a better economic model than they're stuck in? Right. And so we so we said, okay, well, what if it was just, you know, a little more expensive than conventional, but less than than organic? You know, where could we live? And sorry to be wonky here, but on the price curve, where where sure. do we live on the price curve? How do we move that six percent? How do we get more people involved in what's going on at farms? paying a little more to keep farms, paying a little more for local farms, paying a little more to make an economic impact. Yeah. So you're and, thinking about it from a marketing question of how do I get the consumer to realize that there's a difference and to say yes. I'm willing to spend a couple of cents or maybe a couple of dollars more on this product. Right. As it turns out, there are quite a lot. I mean, in, and, and this would be probably true across any business, you know, in, in, in any segment, you know, 10 or 15% of the businesses are just better. They're better operators. They, they produce a higher quality. Uh, they're more consistent. You know, you can, fin- you, you can fit in any of the measures you want, but you know, the dairy, the, the dairy business is no different. Right. And so looking, so trying to figure out who are the better producers and better is subjective, but let's say, so at Five Acre Farms, we say, listen, I know you're used to getting $18, I'm going to pay you $23 for your milk. How does that sound? And of course, it sounds, sounds great, great, right? Because if, if profitability is at 1950 or 20 uh, and I'm being paid 18, I'm slowly dying. And that's right. what all my neighbors are doing. Now somebody comes in and says, okay, they'll, you know, they'll, I'll be able to make a 10, 15% on my business. Okay. I, I can, I can do that. And I say, well, that's great if you want to join, but there's some things that there's some strings attached and the strings attached are that we want you to be very open and transparent about your practices. We're not going to let perfect be the enemy of the, of the good. You know, we're, we're, we don't expect you to be perfect. We just expect you to be open about what's going on in the farm and understand this is as much a marketing exercise as anything, Right. but let's try to engage people and we're going to start with local and higher quality and, and, we'll, and, and, a, and a, a little bit more affordable price. And let's see where it takes us. And, and, so and you've, uh, you've had success then because you, you're a member in this community and you are sort of like boots on the ground to know who these, the right farmers would be and to build this consortium. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So once you have this core and, group of farmers, what's the next step then to say, this is how we're going to tie what you said, the better quality and the more transparency into a customer branding, marketing acquisition strategy? Well, so, I mean, just for one, for a, a bunch of them, it was easy. It's what they were already doing. They just weren't getting paid for it, right? They, they just, they, they had good practices to begin with, you know, and in some just 
adjusting a few minor practices that that didn't turn out to be so difficult. And then in terms, and then what we said in exchange is, oh, by the way, we're going to put your name on every single package and we're not going to do it generically. We're going to do it specifically, meaning if your name is on a package, every ounce of milk in that package is yours. Not, it came from a huge tank and sometimes it was yours. Mm-hmm. It's yours. And and, and uh, so if people wanted to go right to the source, they could. Just to make sure that people knew that we were serious about local farming, because there's a lot of greenwashing out there. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, I mean, we've, my, my brothers have been selling for, to restaurants for years and they make the first order and then they go back to buying lettuce from California. And meanwhile, we're still sitting on the menu, you know, right. and as like, oh, right. interesting. Right. So, so we wanted to really drive that point home. And I would say that, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not a panacea, but it's worked maybe 75 or 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. And what we learned was that, you know, sadly, uh, the food business is mostly about logistics and consistent supply chain management right. rather than the quality on the farm. Especially if you're uh, selling into restaurants, into commercial entities, I imagine you can't miss a delivery. You can't miss a delivery for that matter. Can't miss. Can't miss, particularly with a product like milk. Yeah. People buy milk three, four times a week. You, you don't go to a supermarket and not see milk. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, do you have any rare duck eggs today? It's like, <laughs> right. right. No, they're so, not here this week. Oh, okay. Next time. Did you right. think that maybe you thought you were starting a marketing company and you ended up starting a logistics supply chain company? We certainly thought this was, uh, was going to be marketing and spent about nine years trying to track, you know, crack this logistics puzzle. Yeah. Uh, and we, we have, uh, but it almost killed us. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, the, it's, it's the logistics that are extremely difficult. The other thing is I'm not, I'm not amassing trucks. You know, that's, that's a, uh, we, we have a single truck. There's a lot of, we're trying to take advantage of a lot of other ability out there um, mm-hmm. and focus on being a brand and marketing because that unto itself is hard enough. And so we partner with people on the logistics side, but figuring out how to go onto a small and mid-sized farm, take their product, get it into a package, get it into the mainstream logistics system and get it distributed that's really what five acre farms is about do you think that you've cracked the code that could be applied to other farms both geographically and in terms of yeah what they produce? yeah consumers so even though our business has been really hit hard in this pandemic i mean all the coffee shops milkshakes all, all that stuff all that stuff is gone right um and hopefully it'll come back uh so because so our business was split between retail and food service people the 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 notion that people want to know where their food is coming from is growing not shrinking right transparency um and the ability to see all the way to the end is growing not shrinking now there is a lot of fog out there and there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of confusing information and that will probably continue unabated but i think you know i think the word local is a very powerful word i think people like to identify with what's around them if you make it easy so accessible uh, you can become part of habits uh, mm-hmm. patterns and if you connect them with the people the actual people that are involved in this business starting at the farm and going all the way down the chain 
and showing. I mean, we've got a million people out of work. If you bought something in Unit, this was helping, you know, nine people have jobs. That might be just more thing that you might consider supported something. Um, and and so that's really what we're trying thing. to do. So the, yeah. the, the vision is noble, but it's expensive to communicate that to a customer. You know, you yes. have to you have to get in front of them in some way. And that usually involves marketing money. So how do yeah. you support that end of it while still paying more for the base product and provide yeah. and making a profitable business and supply chain? Well, I mean, I guess I don't know if it's noble. I just think it's the right thing to do. And if we want food in our, we want farms in our area, there's no choice. I mean, we might wake, wake up one day and find there are no more farms. I mean, the party's over in Massachusetts. The party. I'm, I'm willing over. to say it's noble. I th- I'm willing to say good food made by honest people getting to our homes in a way that's going to make us healthier and improve the planet. I'd say that's about as noble as enterprise as any other ones. Well, I mean, I think that it's, I think it's also good business, I guess is what I mean. Yeah. It, it might be noble, but I think it's good business. So, so let's go back to that question then. How do you yeah. also spend, how do you, where does your marketing budget come from to, to so, get those so customers? So if you, if you just break apart, you know, and you would do this with any product, you have to uh, have a marketing budget. Right. And food is tricky because some products require more marketing spend than others. At the extreme, soda, iced tea, incredible marketing budgets, no cost of production. Right. Everything, everything is logistic. Everything is distribution and marketing. And, and so if you think of the center aisle in a supermarket and why that's really controlled by large, large companies is because that's where the marketing dollars are spent in, in at the most. Now, if you go into the, the, the perimeter of a supermarket, which is where everything is refrigerated or fresh, things go up in price. You start to see smaller players because it's not that easy. It's not that easy to, to, to make fresh food and, and it's just a harder segment and, and you can be small and nimble and survive. Some categories are starting to lean towards soda and some categories stay really closer to milk and eggs where there's just all the money's been sucked out of milk and eggs. And so there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of expectation on the supermarket for you to spend on marketing, but mm-hmm. yogurt has a pretty big marketing budget because, and, and marketing comes in different forms. But when you see 10 yogurts for $10, that's marketing money. You know, no one is making money in a 10 for 10. Not the supermarket, not the not the manufacturer. The only person who's winning there is the consumer. But that's not a sustainable practice. But it's very, very expensive. And so, consequently, when you think about products where the marketing spend is very high, yogurt would be one. Um, and Five Acre Farms, we had a very nice, successful uh, yogurt that we couldn't afford to keep up, and so we've stopped selling six ounce yogurts. For the time being because we didn't have the budget you know you're talking about millions of dollars uh, and really they're the only exit plan is to be ac- acquired yeah. you know you, that's the only way to that's the only way to succeed in that business and usually that means deficit spending until somebody big enough buys you yes so this is really a marketing exercise yeah it's trying to get people to you know stop they're thinking as they're hustling through the supermarket and they're busy and the kids are screaming or they're late or you know, they're trying to get to their parents or they're trying to get home or they're going to a function and they just want to grab something or they, they're hungry and they, and they don't really care about all the messaging. They just want to eat. And so the question is, how do you pierce that 
you know, how, how do you get through to people um, and, and shake up their routine? Uh, and it's, it's a big challenge. So what would you, what advice would you give the relatively uneducated casual consumer walking through a supermarket right now? Uh, I mean, the first piece of advice is that, you know, you, your food dollar is an economic decision, not just for you, but for it. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a consumer driven culture and consumers can have a tremendous impact on, on the food that all the rest of us eat. Most people don't really, you know, understand that or think of themselves as irrelevant, but I can tell you that that's not the case because you're, you're probably representative of 50 to 100 people out there, even though you don't know it. And so when you decide to buy something, it's probably indicative of a handful of other people. And it doesn't take, the, the food business is so massive. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's 900 billion now or 800 billion. It's, it's some huge number. It, it all adds up. And you know, there's nothing wrong with having a five, a two, a five, a 10, a $30 million food company supported by a hand, you know, more than a handful of consumers, but supported by a small fraction of consumers, even though you're just a blip in the giant ocean. See, I, I completely agree with that. And we kind of try to stress that too, where if everyone just makes two or three different decisions a day about the stuff they're buying or the services they're using, that would have a massive impact if it was at scale, you know? If I would say even one, just one. Just one, just make just one, one better choice a day. One better choice. The other thing that I would say, not necessarily on the flip side, but is that I think as a business proposition, if you're trying to start a food company or if you're a consumer, you should expect this local item to be as good or better than what you're normally buying. You should not have to compromise. Mm -hmm. I do not, I mean, Otherwise, it's just sort of, it's, it's charity. And, that, and that's nice and that's great, but that's not going to drive that business. But if you're a, a regular company, if you're a local company, you should expect that people return customers. I mean, think of yourself as a consumer. Right. You see it's a local producer. You go buy their thing. You get home. You prepare it. And it's not that good. Are you going to buy it again? Yeah, repeat business. And as you talked about restaurants before, you make most of your money off people that are coming back in the door, not people that are coming in the first time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's true with like, at the, you, you want people to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm buying this. Great. I love this. Right. And without the quality, you're never going to get that loyalty. No, no. I mean, or when you think about low quality, now you're thinking mass, mass market. And man, is then, then it's all price. Right. Then it's all price. And then I, I don't, my advice to on the producer end is you're not going to, you're not going to beat, uh, you know, a, a, a multi-billion dollar company in pricing, in a price war. Right. You know, you're, you're not. So I guess then we should, we should tell all of our, our loyal and local listeners, where can they go find five acre farms, uh, dairy products? Well, uh, <laughs> Thanks. I'll give a plug. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're among other places local in, businesses. In, in sh we're, we're, we're in ShopRite. Uh, our buttermilk has been, has been very successful. And, and we're in, in Brooklyn, you know, when you go into say Maison Kaiser or when, say when, when they open up again, uh, yeah. you know, all that milk at the coffee bar, that's ours. You can find us at key food. Um, I don't know if fairway is going to reorganize and open up again. Um, Union market has got, five or six places in Brooklyn and we, we, we do a lot of sales with them and, and up in Westchester, uh, the Chico's in conversations with some larger players. 
uh, to expand, you know, such as, you know, Hannaford and, and Stop and Shop. Uh, our kefir has been quite popular. King's, we, the King's supermarkets in New Jersey. So and, check your and, local and, supermarket and keep an eye out for five acre farms because at least you, you're going to know where that came from. That's going to yeah, and don't be afraid farm. to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. You'd be, you'd be surprised. Asking about products makes a big difference. Right. That way, the people running the store know that the customers care, and that's invaluable. Invaluable. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on today and teaching us a little bit about what it is like to try to be a farmer today and how we're going to get ourselves out of this situation. Thanks, Lance.